All right, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Father, help us to be faithful. Help me to be faithful in the preaching of your word. Help us to be the faithful, faithful in the hearing of your word. Help us to love what we see and do what it says. Amen. So what we see in this passage right here is just this main idea that God is doing something greater than they expected. And that's really the application for us today. God is doing something greater than we expect. Our expectations are always smaller and more temporary than God's actual plans. I'm going to say that again. Normally, I'm very wordy in my intro, and this is all I've got for an intro. Our expectations are always smaller and more temporary than what God actually plans. He tells them to wait. He begins in verses 4 and 5, and he says, he says, wait you heard from me for this, this promise of the Father. Wait for it. Because John baptized with water, but you're going to baptize the Holy Spirit. So he's already kind of setting the stage for them to say, like, how great you think John was, you are going to have a greater baptism. Something greater is on the horizon. And so if you imagine what they would be in, in this situation, thinking like, okay, well, what could possibly be greater than what we've already seen? How could that possibly happen? And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why do they ask that? Because it's the greatest thing they can imagine. It's the thing that Jesus had been talking about. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then it says, remember last week we talked about how in the first 40 days, he, he talks to them about the kingdom of God. And so they hear all of these things. He talks about the kingdom of God when he appears to them. And so then they, he says, like, something greater is coming. The promise is coming. And so they say, okay, great. So then at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now remember, we talk about this a lot when we go through the Gospels, that they thought Jesus was coming to restore an earthly kingdom. <clears throat> they could not fathom the kind of kingdom that Jesus was actually talking about. They could only imagine what they as human beings can only imagine. What is tangible, 
what is in front of them, what they can picture with their own minds, at see with their own eyes. And so the greatest thing they could imagine is that Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. After everything they had been through, they still had this small, temporary, earthly kingdom in mind. There's a, an old theologian who, in, when commenting on, um, commenting on this passage and about their question of, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said this, their stupidity is incredible. They had been carefully taught for three whole years, yet were as ignorant as if they had never heard a thing. That feels a bit harsh, right? I mean, stupidity is incredible. Like he's saying, he's saying, like, for three years you've been hearing Jesus talk about this greater kingdom, and now he comes back, and this is what you ask him? Like, okay, now? It's a bit harsh, but maybe true. And it stings a little bit, I think, because I don't know that we're much different. Like, it doesn't matter how much we read about or we hear about or we experience, don't we all just keep reverting back to our small little kingdoms? Like, don't we just keep coming back? To, like, we, we see something great, we read this, we're like, okay, yeah, God, you're doing something incredible, you're building this eternal home, and then we still come back to our things, our retirement our health, our family vacations, our success in the workplace or in sports or in school. And we keep translating and we think that God bringing his kingdom to earth is really him helping us live out our smaller kingdoms. And it happens in our little communities, in our homes, in our communities, in our country, in our world. This idea that we can establish a little bit of the kingdom for ourselves in the world that we carve out for ourselves. And when God makes himself known in our lives in some tangible, powerful way, it often only deepens our belief that he's going to make everything right in my life right now, in my kingdom. Let me give you an example of that. I don't know if you've ever faced a hard trial. I'm pretty sure we go around the room, we could all come up with things that we have faced that have been hard. A really hard circumstance. And have you ever, in the midst of that hard circumstance, that hard trial, have you had an incredible experience with God where you feel like you met with God, that he made his presence known to you, that you saw his power? Maybe you came, you dragged yourself to church and you heard a sermon that you felt was like made specifically for you or you sang a song that stirred you in such a way and that even in the midst of your struggle or your suffering or your grief, you felt this incredible connection to God and this incredible power. Or maybe you had a quiet time where you felt God's presence or drive to, to work or whatever. And then you, when you get that experience, you have that moment and you find yourself thinking, okay, well now I know everything's going to be okay. He's going to make this right and he's going to take away the circumstance. 
only to realize when you go home or the next day that those circumstances haven't changed. You're still being treated unfairly at work. Your kid is still struggling. Your home life is still a mess. The cancer is still there. And we say, well, what happened? That is our version. We see God. We experience him like the disciples see Jesus walking around. And then we say, okay, okay, so this time you're going to restore everything to the way it should be, right? It's understandable. But it's wrong. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, he says, you will receive power with the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not really the answer they were expecting probably not the answer they were hoping for. But his answer is no, that's not what's happening, but something greater is coming. And you will receive power to be witnesses to it, to the ends of the earth. And then he gets swept up in a cloud and is gone. Listen, there are moments when I read scripture that I sit there and I read it and then I read it again and then I read it again and I'm still left there going like, what? I mean, can you imagine being the disciples sitting there looking at that and he tells them all of this stuff and then he gets swept up in a cloud and disappears? And then my favorite is, of course, they're looking up and then all of a sudden two angels appear right next to them and say, hey guys, why are you looking up there? Like, can you, I just like to imagine kind of crickets and blank looks from the disciples going like, what, what just happened? And then you've got two angels saying, why are you looking up? But it's almost like, I mean, I expect them to be like, did you not see what just happened? Why am I looking up there? That dude just rose from the dead, talked to us for 40 days about the kingdom. We said, are you going to restore it now? He said, not for you to know, but I'm leaving you with power. See ya. Just summarizing this for them. And they say, why are you looking? Here's, here's one of the things that you see in progression. If you watch the narrative in Acts, one of the things that you will see is that in the church, little by little, they stop being surprised at the supernatural. They're still in awe. They're still in wonder. They still rejoice. It still stirs them. But they stop looking around with dumb looks on their faces. They start to expect the unexpected because their understanding of the kingdom grows and grows and grows. They understand when Jesus says the treasure is, the kingdom is a treasure hidden in a field. If you listened to the podcast this week, you, you heard this, this idea, there is a kingdom it costs everything, and it's infinitely better. It's about as simple as that parable can get. This kingdom exists. It costs everything to be in it, and it's infinitely better. It has no end. 
in either time or space. There are no compromises. There are no more tears, says Revelation 21. There is no more suffering. It is a land of ever-increasing joy for all eternity, all ruled by the only king who could make that happen, which he did through his life, death, and resurrection. And that kind of kingdom that Jesus is talking about cannot be established through human means and effort. It has to come in a very different kind of power. And Jesus says that power is on its way. He's talking about a much bigger power than they could imagine. So not only do we tend to have a vision of a smaller kingdom, but we also have a vision for smaller power. And they probably, when Jesus returned from the grave and is walking with them for 40 days and is talking about what is to come, they're probably breathing a huge sigh of relief. They probably think that the, the hard work is over. They went through his life and his death and the resurrection, and now he can finally restore the kingdom. They can take their place sitting next to him at the high seat of honor. Everyone will respect them. Things will get better for them. And then it doesn't. That same theologian said this. I just found this whole section very entertaining. He said, and also they said about, and also, like, yeah, they not only were there, their view of everything was just stupid. He said, also, they said about things in the wrong way. Having been called to war, they wanted to skip the hard work and lie around taking things easy. Therefore, when he said, you will receive power, he was warning them in case they should be idiotic enough to make a premature attempt to do things beyond them. Fun fact, this dude, who I believe loved Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, loved the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelled in him, sanctified, like saved, he's in heaven now, with the dudes that he's talking about. I just like to, I just like to think about like, hey, so uh, talking about Acts chapter one, you, oh yeah, about that. So, you know, like, but this reality is still there, right? He's saying they don't have a frame of reference for the power it's going to take to establish a kingdom they can't imagine. And so he's telling them, Jesus is saying, stay here, wait. You need the power of the Holy Spirit just in case they think they could run off on their own and do it in their own power. And man, we see that everywhere, don't we? The idea that we can take the, the knowledge that we gain from this book, we can take its principles and its morals and its values, and then we can go and build the kingdom that God is preparing for us. I mean, that's, that's how we live our lives, right? Whether it's in politics or with our families or in our jobs. Like if I just know what this says and build this set of values and principles and lifestyle, then I'm going to go and apply that and do it in my life and I will create a kingdom. Everything out there might be a mess, but everything will work out in my own little world. It doesn't work that way. We want this small kingdom and we think we can get it by our own power. But in fact, the only kind of kingdom that we can get in our own power is one that won't last. Like, think about that. We end up 
being no different than any other empire or movement in the history of the world. Any kingdom that can be achieved through human strength is no kingdom at all. It will not last, period. Not Greece, not Rome, not the Ottoman Empire, not the British Empire, not the United States. Jesus is telling them what what I'm asking you to do, the kingdom that is coming and the mission that I'm sending you on, you cannot do on your own. And if you find a world where you can do it on your own, it's not the kingdom. It's something smaller. It's something that won't last. You need power, and it is coming. And I, and I have to believe that Luke, remember, Luke is writing this, and he's imagining, he knows everything that's to come. I, I think, I have to imagine that, that he is writing that smiling, thinking of all the ways that the power of the Holy Spirit would be on display through the church. That he's already thinking as he's writing this intro, he's thinking of the prison breaks and the miraculous healings and the preaching in the face of death. Like he's setting the stage. He's telling Theophilus and anybody else who would read this, hey look, this kingdom is bigger than you can imagine. It takes a a power bigger than you can imagine. And it's on its way. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Listen, so much of our lives, and mine included, is thinking about this small kingdom that I can achieve and build with small power. And when that's the case, my mission in my life becomes equally small. The aim of my life becomes so small and temporary. And what Jesus says here seems impossible and ridiculous. I mean, their, their idea of mission in the early church, like when they're first here, the disciples at this point probably would have been very localized. They probably would have thought, okay, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, and so now we're back in this idea. Be very localized, like in the temple, in Jerusalem. And they probably would have even thought of themselves as, as being able to replace the Pharisees. So now they got to be the ones who were in power and were respected and, and that everybody would look at and would listen to. And that's okay for them to do it because they were better than those other guys. Right? We always think we'll do it better than them. Like It's okay for me to have the power and all that, that uh, anything like that because I'll do it differently. And so I think that they probably thought something like that. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, this is just going to be established here. He says, you're going to be eyewitnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's a much bigger mission than what they would have been thinking about. So we're getting the theme here, small kingdom Built with small power gives me a small purpose and a small mission in my life. Like if your kingdom is your home and your comfort, building your, your dream home in retirement or to raise your family in, and you just want to make that world, you want to be able to control that world and make that great, something you can do through your own effort, then your whole mission in life will be built around that aim. We aren't immune to this in the church at all. 
Because what will happen sometimes is people will say, okay, I know my life is supposed to be more about that. Like we, we, we do that and then we realize it's kind of empty because most of us, we end up being wired in a way that we're like, yeah, it just feels very self-serving. And so what do we do? We try to find outlets to maybe do a little bit of serving and the church kind of can, can fill that role. And so in the church, we kind of sometimes feed into that. We want to say this is a bigger mission, but really our mission ends up becoming really about getting more people to attend a service and to give to the work. And we do that through the power of our own programs and our own strategies. And it's all to build this kingdom of comfortable budgets and buildings with comfortable people. And it is so much bigger than that. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Of what? The good news that this bigger kingdom has come through this greater power of the resurrection to all people everywhere. It is bigger and farther reaching than we can imagine. You know, much is made about this Acts 1-8 when he talks about Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And sometimes it's been interpreted as like, well, it's like an easy to hard progression. You start with what they really know and just keep expanding out to that. But I really don't think that's the case because they're all hard. Right? Like, imagine how the disciples are listening to this when he says, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Oh, you mean where you were crucified? That seems dangerous. And also to Judea. Oh, great. You mean where you were rejected everywhere. Okay. Also to Samaria, where they were hated and where those lived who they hated. And to the ends of the earth. Gentiles in the unknown world. I don't know about you, but none of those feel easy off the bat. But that's where they're called. And so when we think about this and we hear this, okay, you're to be witnesses of this bigger kingdom with greater power, with a huge mission. We should consider I think it's helpful to look at these places and think about our Jerusalem. Think about your very local context. Think about your workplace. Think about your neighborhood. Think about the hardest places that you interact with on a daily basis, places that you would say have the hardest soil and the hardest places. For some of you, it's your family. For some of you, it's your job. For some of you, it's your neighborhood. For some of you, it's your school. He means there. You think about Judea. Judea for them would have been people who are like-minded. They're not right here in my local circle, like right here immediately, but they're, they're like-minded. I could go and we have some common ground. But they've rejected the gospel. They're people who want the king without the kingdom. They like, maybe they like the morals and the values, but not the surrender to a savior. He's talking about there. He's talking about Samaria. A group of people that you would say, I have nothing in common with them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. They are far beyond God. 
And when I was thinking about what that looks like here today, I don't know if there's a bigger divide right now than in politics. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses even to those who despise you and who you despise. Even there. And to the ends of the earth, the hardest places in the world. Imagine countries across the world where you can be arrested and killed. I mean, imagine if your child felt called to go to a country where you thought, I don't know if they're going to return. Jesus is saying there. That's only worth it if the kingdom is worth it. And when we get faced with those, we start to realize and confront what we actually believe about this kingdom. It freaks many of us out. It might freak you out right now. And you might be sitting here looking at me going, I am not equipped for that. I did not sign up with that for that. I agreed to come to church and that was all I agreed to do. I get it. And it's not just you. By the way, if you're here and you're seeking and you're just not sure where you stand, I just want you to know, good news, this isn't for you yet. But if you follow Jesus, it is. And most of the freaking out that's happening in here right now are people who have been following Jesus for a long time. Because we tend to fall into one of two ditches in this. When we hear me talk about this, and look, I get it. I do get your emails. I know that this pushes hard and I know that you just wish I would take a break from this whole mission thing, but I'm not going to because I don't know of anything greater. And we fall into one of two ditches. One is we imagine ourselves, we hear this kind of thing and you start picturing yourself and we think we're supposed to be Billy Graham in every interaction. And if we don't lead someone to faith in Christ, when I go to the grocery store, I have wasted that trip. And they think that's what I'm saying. We just think we're a total failure every time that doesn't happen. Because that's one ditch that we fall in. But the other ditch is to assume such small things, to assume that God would never have you share the gospel at the grocery store. And we live bouncing between these two ditches. I got a call pretty recently from a guy in our church who I know would describe himself as not the person you would think of when you think of Billy Graham. And he was struggling because he had a friend who's struggling with an illness and trying to figure out, what do I, what do, I do? I feel, like, I feel like I'm supposed to say something to him. But it was awkward and uncomfortable, and he didn't know how to go about it. And I offered him such encouragement as, it is awkward, it is uncomfortable. I don't really know how you should go about it. Nailed it, right? But he needed to trust the Holy Spirit, and he did. And I got a call saying, like, I, I pushed through that. I went and visited with him. And I said, there's something I got to talk to you about. And this friend who was battling this illness, they were able to have this conversation. He pushed through all of that. And at the end of it, his friend said to him, would, would you pray with me? And they prayed together. And now that friend knows that he is loved 
and that there's somebody he can talk to about God. See, being a witness is being transformed and living as transformed people who see the kingdom as a treasure hidden in a field, who see the power made available and who just say, here I am, Lord, send me. Listen, he knows your personality. He knows your gifts. He knows who you are. If he wanted somewhere, someone else where you are, he would put them there. If he thought I was a better person to be at your workplace to share the gospel there, he would put me in that workplace. But he didn't. He put you there. And one of the great joys and pressures and weights of my calling and being a pastor is to help you see that and to do whatever I can to encourage you and equip you and to celebrate with you. And the encouragement is to be faithful. Instead of starting with all the things you can't do or you can't imagine yourself doing, what if you started with thinking and saying to yourself, the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to do everything through me that God is asking of me. Do you ever think about that? Whatever God is asking you, like I don't know specifically, but whatever it is, whatever you say, I could never do that. Here's what we need to remember. The Holy Spirit is powerful enough to do everything through you that he has asked of you. You either believe that or you don't. And the power of this church is in the countless acts of faith that are done every day by you through the Holy Spirit. That's the power of this church. Not huge attendance or a huge budget or super powerful worship service or anything like that. The power is in what God is doing in you and through you every single day. And God takes each one of those small pieces and he builds them one piece on top of another and small things become big things. So think back to that Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Think about the, the one that stabbed you the most. The one that make you go, made you go, oh, that's the hardest. Got that in your mind? Maybe it's your own heart. What would it look like for God to bring revival there? Is that what we're asking for? Is that what we're expecting? Are we settling for something less? What would it look like for the Holy Spirit to just move and bring revival? You might say, well, that's not possible. Well, why not? It is. I mean, to, if you say it's not, then we have to say, like, ask the, answer the question, like, does Jesus rule there? Is that environment outside of his dominion? Does the Spirit have a power to transform people there? Well, then why not? Why not be ready? Why not pray for that? Why not be like the church that says as they go through Acts, be like, okay, I don't know what he's going to do, but, I, but I'm waiting for it. I'm ready. 
Give me my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the, the earth. I am confident this year that there will be people in this room that God will call to international missions. That's just one segment of this. But I do believe it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be one or two or 20. I don't know. As somebody, God is going to say, I want you to go and pack up your stuff and move. And the rest of us are going to look at that and say, wow. Not because those people are great, but because God is great. And they're going to be inspired to say, all right, I can go across the street. But it starts here. Every moment, every interaction, you are his witness to this great kingdom that has come and is still on its way. A witness to this incredible power. And witness to this greater purpose and greater aim and greater mission. And I can tell you, by the way, step one in that power is to be joyful. Part like the most base view of like our testimony that God is establishing this great kingdom that has come in power and that I've been sent on this mission is to have joy. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we have hard things. Yes, we're not always happy, but we have joy. So you want a, a very first basic step, like go through your life thinking about that and having joy. Stop grumbling and complaining at work and rejoice that you belong to the Lord and that he has you exactly where he wants you in this moment. That's what demonstrates to people like, oh, you actually believe this. This isn't just about morals or values. There's a story, George Whitfield was this great evangelist and, and preacher and people would just come from all over. They would go to hear him. And he would often do it at like 5 a.m. And so early in the morning in some of these towns where revival was happening, you'd have all these people walking to go hear George Whitfield speak. And there was a time where a man on his way to hear Whitfield speak ran into David Hume, who was a known philosopher and skeptic. Everybody knew that this guy did not buy what George Whitfield was selling. And this man looks at David Hume and he says, I, I thought you did not believe the gospel. And David Hume's response was, I do not, but he does. That's the calling. To live in such a way and speak in such a way that people would say, I don't know about all of this, but that guy believes. That's why I'm drawn to him. He clearly believes this. When we live lives worthy of the kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, people will be drawn to that. And when we tell them it is because of Jesus, whether they believe that or not, they will be drawn to your genuine belief and the Holy Spirit will do his work. So what he is doing may not be what you expect, but I promise you it is bigger and better it may take longer. It may feel like two steps forward and one step back or two steps forward and 12 steps back. But it is better. So my question for you this morning is, do you want it? Like confront and ask the Lord, what small kingdom are you living for? 
And do you see and believe the greater kingdom that Jesus has offered? What smaller power are you relying on or have been relying on to build that kingdom? And what would it look like to pursue and to access the power of the Holy Spirit? And what smaller mission have you been on, smaller aim? And what would it look like to take seriously this Jesus says, you are my witnesses right here across the street and to the ends of the earth. It's a bigger kingdom and a bigger power and a bigger mission for all who believe. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need you to show us what you mean by all of this. Because we cannot possibly fathom how big the kingdom is or how great it is. And because we can't fathom that, we can't fathom what kind of power it takes to build that kingdom. But you have told us that it's through the Holy Spirit. And if we could just have a glimpse, and yet we know we have because we have seen you work around us. We have seen you change lives. We have seen you do the miraculous. We've been witnesses of this power. God, help us. We know that you did not give us this mission to burden us or because you needed help with your work. You gave us this mission for our joy that we would get to partake and participate in the glory of the kingdom. That is unfathomable. That you would take rebels against your kingdom and you would say, come and enter the joy of your master. What an incredible thing. Help us to believe it and love it and live it so that the world may know that you are king. 